Let's take our Bibles, if you will, and uh, turn to the book of Mark. Actually, we're going to have three texts that we're going to look at. Uh, the book of Mark and uh, chapter number four. Then we'll skip over to Mark chapter number six. And then John, chapter number 6. You won't have to turn to all of them. If you like, you can. We uh, began Sunday morning looking at those places that seemed to stand out that Jesus visited during His ministry here on earth. And as we've said, Jesus never took a step that was out of the will of God. But yet there seems to be more emphasis by the Holy Ghost given to some places than others. Uh, for instance, the feeding of the 5,000. Uh, of course, the resurrection of uh, Lazarus. Uh, the uh, giving sight to the blind. Just different places. Uh, Bethlehem, where he was born. The Jordan River, where he was baptized. Uh, the wilderness in which uh, he was tempted, those, those places, the garden where he prayed, of course, the cross where he died, uh, the tomb in which he resurrected from, all of those places seem to stand out to us. And it's sort of like you and me. We know that the Lord is with us because he said he would never leave us nor forsake us. But aren't there those times when He seems to be more real than at other times? And oftentimes when we leave the house of God and we're here, of course, if faithfully, uh, Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, and during revivals, but yet inevitably there will be times that we'll leave the house of God and say, Boy, wasn't the Lord there tonight? Amen. Well, He's been there every night, but it just seemed like that... Uh, he made a mark and emboldened himself within us. And so we're looking at these, uh, these places where, where Jesus visited and uh, where he traveled and the Spirit of God used in a, in a uh, mighty way. Uh, we, we've looked, of course, at the house. Jesus is in the house and he is among us. One of the preeminent places, scores of times, it talks about different homes that Jesus went into to minister. And I'm glad He doesn't just want to be in this house with us. It's not all about just knowing Him here. But thank God He wants to be real where you live, your everyday life. And then we noticed last night that He was in the wilderness being tempted and he's there for us tasting that temptation or or being tempted as the bible said in the wilderness even as we are tempted yet without sin but i want to go a step further and i, I want us to look at tonight for a few moments jesus is in the storm jesus is in the storm and thank god he is with us in our storms Let's look at these uh, verses that emphasize Jesus being in the storm with the disciples. But thank God when the storm rages in your life, He will be there also. 
Uh, Mark chapter number 4, verse 35. The same day when even was come, he saith unto them, Let us pass over unto the other side. And when they had sent away the multitude, they took him, even as he was, in the ship. And there were also with him other little ships. And there arose a great storm of wind, and the waves beat into the ship, so that it was now full. And he was in the hinder part of the ship, asleep on a pillar. And they awake him, and say unto him, Master, carest thou not that we perish? And he arose, and rebuked the wind, and said unto the sea, Peace. Be still. And the wind ceased, and there was a great calm. And he said unto them, Why are ye so fearful? How is it that ye have no faith? And they feared exceeding, and said one to another, What manner of man is this, that even the wind and the seas obey his voice? Now let's skip over to chapter number 6, the book of Mark, verse 45, down through verse uh, 51. The Bible said, and straightway he constrained his disciples to get into the ship and to go to the other side before unto Bethsaida while he sent away the people. And when he had sent them away, he departed into a mountain to pray. And when even was come, the ship was in the midst of the sea, and he alone on the land. And he saw them toiling and rowing, for the wind was contrary unto them. And about the fourth watch of the night he cometh unto them, walking upon the sea, and would have passed by them. But when they saw him walking upon the sea, they supposed it had been a spirit, and they cried out. For they all saw him and were troubled, and immediately he talked with them and saith unto them, Be of good cheer, it is I, be not afraid. And he went up unto them into the ship, and the winds ceased, and they were sore amazed in themselves beyond measure, and wondered. And then in John's gospel and chapter number 6 and verse number 16. John's gospel chapter number 6 and verse number 16. And when even was now come, his disciples went down unto the sea and entered into a ship and went over the sea towards Capernaum. It was now dark, and Jesus was not come to them. And the sea arose by reason of a great wind that blew. So when they had rowed about five and twenty or thirty furlongs, they see Jesus walking on the sea and drawing nigh unto the ship. They were afraid. But he saith unto them, It is I, be not afraid. And they willingly received him into the ship. And immediately the ship was at the land whether they went. 
I believe the real strength of someone is displayed when it's matched against another proven strength. Goliath, of course, with David. Samson with a thousand Philistines are prime examples. But we look in our text here and we see that Jesus took on one of the greatest fears that man has and conquered it there in their sight so that they may know that he was more than just a prophet and that he was capable as the Son of God to take care of them. God allowing the storms to show himself on our behalf. This is the way that he is glorified. Now I want to enter into these storms and for a few moments just magnify three things. Jesus is in the storm, thank God, with us because we also have our storms. The first thing that I would bring to your attention as we noticed in all three of these passages of scriptures that storms reveal something of the uncertainty of the natural elements in this world. They tell us, of course, when we were there on the Sea of Galilee, we were able to get on one of those ships. And while on that ship, they pointed to the Judean mountains and a gap that you could see that went through those mountains. On the other side of that was, of course, the sea in itself, the ocean. And they said that those winds would build up on, on the ocean and it would blow through that gap in that mountain and come hurriedly down upon that, that sea of Galilee. Being a small body of water, six miles by 15 miles in, in distance and 120 to 155 feet deep. And of course, being that shallow, when those winds came down, they came down in great gusts and they stirred up that water. And that's why the storms, even today on the Sea of Galilee, are very sudden. They are, they are very violent. It signifies, of course, how that, that the storms are so unpredictable. They can come at any time. And then once those storms appear, they are so uncontrollable because they are so massive and they are so powerful. When we look on the television even today and and see some more of those tornadoes that have been uh, in Birmingham, Alabama and other places, the the, the thoughts that you get from the minds of the people, they they are dazed, they are are bewildered, they are amazed that, that the elements have this much power and can do this much destruction in such a short amount of time. 
And there seems to be no advancement in technology or, or in science that can deal with such destructible forces that are so beyond man's capability. We never seem to be as weak as we are when we're in the midst of a storm that comes in our direction that is so, you can't prepare for it. It's, it's not something that you can put on a calendar or on a date book and say, now darling, you know, this is going to happen three months down the road. It, it's going to be a raging storm and, and we need to plan for that. No, we don't know what's going to happen or what kind of a storm it's going to be or how fierce the storm is going to be. But there's one thing that we do know. Every area of this world has its own storms. It may be the sandstorms of, uh, uh, of the Middle East, or it may be the snowstorms of the North. It may be the heat storms of the South. It may be the hurricanes uh, as we've seen uh, uh, coming up through uh, the different states or or it may be uh, or the tornadoes or the hurricanes passing uh, through Florida or some other place along the coast but every area has some kind of a storm it is universal and can I say to you that no life no life You are living in foolish ideology if you think that you can live life without storms. They will come. Storms seem to reveal the uncertainty of these natural elements that that come in our direction. They seem to speak of the uncertainty of the natural elements. Elements, but one thing you know, you can expect storms. And these are God's children out in the middle of those storms. And in one case, He sent them out the middle of the storms. And He's in the control of the storm, so He knows where your storms are. Storms seem to reveal something of the uncertainty of the natural elements. We never know what the report is going to be when you go to the doctor. You never know what's around the curve for you or for somebody in your family as far as automobiles and things of that nature. You you just don't know. This life is for sure uncertain. But then the second thing that I would emphasize from these Three text is not only does the storm seem to reveal something of the uncertainty of the natural elements, but the storm reveals something of the unseen human elements. You see, the storm on the outside is bad enough, but if the storm gets on the inside, it becomes worse. And here's the thing about storms. Storms will begin to stir up things that you did not know existed. The first church that I pastored was up in a beautiful 
uh, holler there in North Carolina, just beautiful landscaping. And those people are very particular about their houses and their yards and everything. It is, it, it, it is uh, breathtaking. Everything is a picture. But I can remember pastoring up there and we had a flood. It literally washed the road systems out and uh, just moved houses off their foundations and uh, destroyed animals. Thank God no people were killed. I mean, gullies big enough to bury uh, cars. It took them months uh, bringing in the National Guard to replace those roads that were up there. But the thing that stuck out in my mind was that after that storm, how much trash was caught up in different places that had washed out of those communities. And I thought to myself, man, I I thought they were all clean. Their front yards were real nice. But somewhere there had to be this trash. A place in the back, a a favorite little gully where they put it in there or throwed it over in there and and even wash machines and and old dryers and refrigerators had been brought out of there and all kind of garbage that you you would throw away that that the storm had uh, sucked up with it and brought it to the attention of everybody. Hey, look what was in their backyard. But we'd have never known it unless the storm had hit it. You know, old Simon Peter, he's a fisherman, strong and stout. And you can just tell he has that persona about him that he's in charge. But brother, when he gets in a storm, you see some things in Simon that you did not know existed. And all of these men, they are shaken and, and uh, they are nervous and they're, and I don't blame them. Have you ever, have you ever been in? I was, I was privileged to go out with a man who had a, a shrimp boat, a large boat, and to go shrimping for three days and two nights. Wouldn't you know it? There was a storm. This was in the Gulf. And I'm going to tell you that water was hitting that boat and turning it around and turning it around. And and this old boy, I wasn't feeling too good about the storm. And I started having fears and and thoughts (laughs) that I hadn't had before. Because you see, it's easy to predict how you're going to act when you're not in the storm. You can start talking now about how you would do if you'd about that. If I'd have been there, I'd have done this. I'd have done that. I don't want to see how they hit that car head on. I would have served. There's plenty of room over here that could have went over there. And I'm going to tell you why. I just wouldn't have got all upset about it. I'd have never said what they said. I'd have never done what they'd done. I'm going to tell you what. I think I'd have had more control. Oh, is that right? You just ain't been in big enough storms. Because in those storms, there comes some sediments out of the bottom of your heart that you didn't know was there. But God knew it was there. Oh, you're so religious and so pious until the storm hits. Now, let me make this statement. And Brother Ron, don't say anything. I am a wonderful husband. Don't look at my wife either. I am a tremendous father. I was a great pastor. 
I am a sweet evangelist. I really mean that. I'm telling you, that's how I feel about myself. As long as things go my way. And don't look at me like that. You ain't got no halos either. Uh-huh. But I'm going to tell you, when things are not going my way, and especially when the storms get to coming in my life, and I'll tell you, it amazes me at what how I seem to regress instead of progress. And I said, God, I didn't even know I could have thoughts like that. You never know how you're going to react. You never know what you're going to do. But God wants to show you who you are and He'll show you in the storm. About like an old pickup I used to have. I'll tell you, it's the finest pickup you've ever seen. One day I got on an old gravel road. Potholes in it. And I'm going to tell you, after driving about three miles, it started coughing and spitting and choking, and finally it went out on me. I took it back to the house, and I took the carburetor off from it, and I was looking all through it to see what was wrong, and, and uh, finally I figured it out. It had set, it was an old pickup, it had set for so long that there's a bunch of gum in the bottom of the tank. And as long as you was riding on a smooth road, it'd take you anywhere you want to. But I'm going to tell you something. If you hit a gravel road, buddy, she's going to shut down on you. All of those sediments began to come up and come through that filter and get into that carburetor and she'd choke and spit, as I said, and that's as far as you can go. And may I say to you, it's easy to be a Christian on Sunday morning, Sunday night and Wednesday night, and I'm glad you are, I'm glad you're in the house of God, but you know as well as I do when we hit the bumps in the road, that's when those unwanted sediments begin to come to the top and you begin to realize who you really are. (laughs) Who would have thought old Simon Peter would cry out like that? Who would have thought that John would have cried out? Who would have thought that these men would have had such a spirit about them? It reveals something of the unseen human nature as far as our attitudes are concerned and as far as our actions are concerned. Sediments. I'm here to tell you the storm comes many times into our lives, but as the storm comes, it shows us the uncertainty of the natural elements around us. It shows us the unseen human element that is within us. That is within us. But then the last thing I want you to see about this matter of Jesus being in the storm with us is that it reveals something of the unveiling of the divine element. Boy, if we're left, and that's where this world leaves us, I'm going to tell you where this political progressivism is going to, where it's always come from. It's a perfect world without God is what they're shooting for. They want to, oh yeah, yeah, they want a clean world. And uh, they want a united world. They want a one world. They want to do away with things that would uh, that uh, that that lessen this this matter of having peace. But they want to do it without God, and you can't do it without God. It doesn't exist. Amen. 
But you see, this old world is, is playing those political cards. And it, it, is, it is trying to line us up for what is inevitable. And that, of course, is, the, is the, the setting up of the one world government, the Antichrist, and all that other stuff. But I'm going to tell you, Christ is just on the other side of that. Amen. He will allow the storms, the troubles, and the trials in your life because He will use that to unveil Himself. This storm is not because of global warming. Nary three of these storms are global warming. They're God wrought to get our attention. And this world gets mad when you tell them God's in charge of the hurricanes and God's in charge of the tornadoes. And it doesn't have anything to do with man-made. It's God-made. Because he wants to get our attention as he did in Elijah's day. As he turned the water off on Ahab and brought that famine. And can do the same thing in our day if he likes to get our attention. And what I'm afraid of, God's going to have to let some major calamities come to America. To even get the attention of the church. But oh, here comes Jesus. Aren't you glad when Jesus comes in to your storms? I notice as he comes into this storm, he comes walking on the water. Wow. One fellow said that that which is over your head is under his feet. And how true that is. That God is not worried about the storm. He takes sovereign steps where we fear to dread. And isn't it amazing of all places that Jesus could show up. He travels so unexpected ways and many unexpected roads. Who would have dreamed that he would have come to the disciples through a storm Walking on the water. Aren't you glad that he is, he is, he's above your storm? Whatever it may be, he is above your storm. Above it. Teaching us and instructing us with this storm. He comes walking on it. (laughs) walking on it. God, Jesus, using your storm to get to you. Because it wouldn't do any good to come to you without the storm. You wouldn't need Him nor pay any attention to Him. But honey, when He gets to walking in your direction and you're in a storm, you're ready for Him to show up. He comes walking on it. Not only does he come walking on the storm, he comes speaking to the storm. And you imagine being there that day, no matter they wondered, no matter they, no wonder that they, uh, they marveled at what he did because he stood on the sides of that ship And my goodness, he spoke to the winds of the seas 
And the Bible said they obeyed his voice. It is great comfort to know that whatever your storm is, it has to listen to him. Because he has divine authority over all storms that are in our lives. And he's able to push the clouds back. He's able to calm the winds. And he's able to make the seas lie down as he speaks. He is the word of God that spoke everything into existence. And as he speaks, he can bring a calmness to your heart. My, my, my. How raging, how mighty, how terrifying. And then all of a sudden there is a total stillness as they heard the Son of God speak above their storm. Now you're not going to be able to take care of your storm. You're not going to be able to stop your storm. The thing you need to hear is His voice as it speaks to your storm. He is, he is in this storm with them. Notice how that he is not only walking and he is, he is not only speaking. Now, he's speaking. Now, let me say this before I go on to that last thought. You know, the disciples on that one occasion when the storm hit and Jesus is in the boat, he's in the ship, and he's asleep on a pillow. And they come to him to arouse him out of sleep. Now some have supposed that the reason why Jesus was awakened out of sleep is because the disciples knew that he could stop the storm. But if you read the text, it's quite obvious that they don't realize that at the time. If they had it, they wouldn't have said, What manner of man is this? They had no idea that he could calm the storm. You say, what was happening? Honey, they're toiling and rowing. They're doing everything they can do to throw the water out. And it's coming in faster than they can get rid of it. And they're putting all of their energy. Twelve of them are giving everything they've got to the storm. But they can't handle it. So they come to Jesus and here's their, here's what they're wanting. They're not wanting, they're not suspecting Jesus can calm a store. What they're thinking is, we've got 12. If we have one more hand, we could get in here and maybe Jesus, if you get back there with Peter and help him and rest him every now and then and you throw on one side, let him throw on another side and maybe if you'd scoot up there and get one of those oars from John and you go to peddling, man, we might be able to get out of this with a little help. Most folks in the middle of their storm are looking for a little help. But I'm here to tell you, Jesus is not interested in a little help. He don't want your pail and he don't want your oar because he's not going to throw, he's not going to get involved in throwing water around in your life that's not going to do you any good or anybody else. It's just coming back. But I tell him what he will do if you'll just lay the oar down and put the bucket down. He'll stand on the side of your ship and say, Peace, be still. 
And brothers and sisters, the difference right there is, is you won't go bragging on how you got out of your storm. You ain't been in the right storm. Because the thing that you learn in a storm is you can't get out of a storm. You can't come at But thank God if you'll just lay the oar in the bucket down, He can calm the storm. But we're prone to manipulate and control, pull the levers and push the pedals to try to get everything to where... And we mean well. We're just trying to save ship. We're trying to get out of trouble. We mean well. (laughs) And all at the same time, he's saying, put that down. Leave that alone. You're not going to change that person. <laughs> when marriages get in trouble, it get, it's, it's over a storm of trying to change each other. Pitching water here and pitching water there, and you end up throwing water on each other, and the ship's going down. Children get out of control, and boy, don't we just grab for something uh, and thinking maybe we can save the ship. <laughs> and all the same time he said, oh, no, don't, don't, don't do that. Just put it back down. Leave it alone. That's right. And I will speak. <laughs> Boy, I'm going to tell you once he speaks and you feel and sense. Isn't it so wonderful to come to the house of God and say, I was in a storm last night. Jesus come in my direction. And thank God I'm amazed at how he calmed the storm in my life. Thank you, Jesus. As he's able to do. He is walking on our storm. He is speaking to our storm. But I'm going to tell you something. Storms are not in vain. God helps you and me more in times of storms than we could ever imagine. I notice in these, both, all three of these passages of Scripture, and especially in John, how that, how that the Lord used the storm to move them. Because in John's gospel, the Bible tells us that after that storm, after he calmed that storm, that immediately, that's what the scripture says, immediately the ship was at the other side where they were going. Now they had no idea where the ship was during the storm because it looked like it was spinning out of control. And it seemed like they wasn't going nowhere. They just there in trouble, making no progress. But little did they know that Jesus had allowed that storm without them knowing, blowing them and pushing them and the waves taking them. And they didn't have, they didn't even have, they didn't even have to get involved in it. When Jesus said, peace be still, they looked around and said, my goodness, right there it is. There is the shore. Boy, haven't you sensed in your storm that God has progressed you? God has increased your faith. God has gave you a new appreciation of faith. God has emboldened His Word in you. He's taken you a mighty long way, but He's used the storm to... in your life. He used the storm to move them. Sometimes we're not going to move. Unless the storm moves us, he uses the storm to master us. We're not going to submit and surrender, but in the midst of the storm, honey, we don't have any choice. 
uses the storm to minister through us. He uses the storm. The book of Nahum chapter 1 and verse 3 said, The Lord hath his way in the whirlwind and in the storm. I've thought often about Joseph, that Old Testament type of Christ. My, what a storm that brewed about him. That storm of hatred and envy and jealousy out of his brothers. But it moved him from home, seemed to be harsh. It moved him to be carried down into Egypt by the Ishmaelites. It seemed to be so terrifying. It moved him into the position of a servant that he never thought he would be. It moved him all the way into prison. (laughs) But before it was over with, it moved him to the throne. And I'm going to tell you something. I don't just want to preach, I want to minister. But I don't think you can minister unless you minister out of your storms. You've got to be able to tell folks that Jesus showed up where you were at so they can know he can show up where they're at. And for me to come here tonight and give you seven steps on how to handle your storm (laughs) wouldn't help you a bit. If I could just come and emphasize to your heart that Jesus is hes with you in the storm. and He'll work in that storm. And he'll bring something out of your storm. Aren't you glad he was in the storm? Let's bow our heads. Father, we thank you. Lord Jesus. As I look back over my life, me and my wife, and we see and can point at those times of storms. Oh, Lord, you became real to us there. You showed up just in time. And I thank you for that. And I learned more. And, Lord, I have sensed that I've been able to minister out of the storms. Help us tonight not to try to figure the storms, not to try to force and fight against the storms, but help us by faith to look to you to handle whatever the raging storm may be.